Well, good morning, Grace. And this is history. You are making history. First time, 11 months since we had a second service. Oh, maybe this is the beginning of the craziness ending, right? So why don't we start off right? How about this? Meaningless, meaningless, said the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Well, that's a fine how do you do. It sounds like, like a cynical, drunk philosophy professor at some graduation ceremony watching all the new graduates be all happy and optimistic, and he's over there slurping his scotch going, yeah, everything is meaningless. But it's not. I, that is not where the source of that quote is. That's actually from the Bible. It is penned by Solomon in a book called Ecclesiastes. And Solomon is the wisest, most powerful, wealthiest man in the fifth century BC. And that's what he says about life. It's a book of Ecclesiastes and we're gonna study that for seven weeks together and it's going to be an adventure. It's about the meaning and purpose of life. And Solomon is uniquely able to give us a perspective that we can't have because, frankly, we don't have the resources, the time, maybe the intelligence or the bravery to do it. And Solomon's going to tell us the way it is. And it's going to sound raw, sometimes ir irreverent, but it'll be in our face. Uh, I think he said it first. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. That's what's found in the book of Ecclesiastes. S Solomon has... Uh, his, his, his problem, the reason he's able to come to these conclusions is because he is able to experience so many different, I guess, experiences of life. And then he would stop and think about them. He'd go on long walks. He would think through. He'd, he'd seen so many funerals. He'd seen good funerals and bad funerals. He'd seen wealth come and wealth evaporate. He saw innocence violated. He saw evil men get away with doing evil. And then he would ponder that. And he would go on these walks and he would think to himself, what is the gain of anything? Why even bother trying? It's a fantastic book, and, 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 it, and it spares no one. If you think, oh, I'm a committed follower of God, and I, I, I'm going to be you know, immune to some of his teachings, that's not true. A shallow, superficial, or a distracted life will not be tolerated when we go through the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon's place in the world is somewhat unique. In God's gift to him, he was given literally by God great wisdom and wealth and power. And in that, he is able to go places that we can't go to the extremes that we can't. Sometimes because we fear going down some, some road. Maybe it's because we don't have the resources to get there. Or we can go down some road, but we can't go all the way down it. Those limitations didn't apply to Solomon. He, he had the resources, he had the gas, unlimited fuel, and he rode down these roads and they showed up to be dead ends, cul-de-sacs, without value, unlimited exploration. And he comes back in the summary of his, uh, his quest, this is what he says, Chapter one, verse two, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. 
And that's a blunt summary of the book itself, but also in chapters one and two, where he goes about doing an experiment to find out the purpose and meaning of life. That's what we'll look at today, chapters one and two. And he's, he's just trying to prove his case. If you got an outline, this is how it looks. He's gonna talk about like how the teacher sees life. And then we're gonna look at what the teacher sees in life. How does he perceive reality? And then what does he see in that reality? So when we talk about first what the teacher sees in life, it's important for us to get his worldview, his perspective, like what are the parameters of his experiment? And that's what he says. And he says, what, does, what do people gain from all their labors which they toil under the sun? There's three, three key phrases to understand the, the paradigm that Solomon's going to be looking through. Okay, the, the first one is the idea of under the sun. Under the sun is a phrase that's used about 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes and nowhere else in the Older Testament. Under the sun means earth. That's all we have, just planet earth. Under the sun meaning under the heavens. There's no spiritual dynamic to creation or even our, our souls themselves. I'm just going to limit this to under the sun. And then another phrase that's important here is it's just the idea that, that, that if this is all the world is, then how come the world is not enough? How come there's the feeling that there's something missing? Why is there a restlessness under the sun? Second phrase is one he'll use throughout the book, meaningless, meaningless. Uh, some of your translations will say vanity, vanities. He'll use this about 38 times. And in the context, that word is used outside of Ecclesiastes that gives us a good definition. The word uh, hevel in Hebrew literally means vapor or smoke, right? So the, uh, uh, a breath, that's what the word translates literally. And the idea is it's a metaphor about the human experience existence itself, that, it, it, that life is temporary, that it's fleeting, it's here and gone. That's it, it's a wisp, that's all. But also the metaphor shows that life, human experience is an enigma. It's a paradox. It's not something you, you can grab, you can't grab smoke. It's, it's frustrating if nothing else. So there's under the sun and there's the meaningless and now the word gain, that's the, that's how he's keeping score. He's an accountant. He says, look at the passage again. It says, what, what do people gain from all of their labors at which they toil under the sun? It's, it's a simple financial term. It's an accounting term. He says, at the end of all of this, what's left over? Positive, negative, break even? What's going on here? After a thousand years, after 10,000 years of funerals, what remains? Jesus in the Newer Testament says, what does it profit? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world if it costs him his soul? There's an accounting term as well. What does it gain by that? So he's, he's not being pessimistic. He's just being an accountant saying at the end, what difference does any of this matter? What, what pod, is there anything good that comes from this? This week, you know, I'm just reading and listening to Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 and I could not get Kansas out of my mind. Okay, that classic rock band. Listen to this, Dust in the Wind. I close my eyes and break only for a moment, but that moment's gone. 
Now it's forever gone. All my dreams, they pass before my eyes, and I wonder. We're dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Just, just drops of water in an endless sea. That's all we do. All we do crumbles to the ground, and though we refuse to acknowledge that or think about it. Nothing lasts forever but the earth and sky. It slips away, and all the money we have, we cannot buy one more moment back. Yeah, there it is. Time and death will erase every single thing as though it never existed. Time and death will erase every single thing as though it never existed. That's how the teacher looks at life under the sun. He's looking for gain in that. Second thing on the outline, what does he see? What does the teacher see? I'll just give you an outline there. He's, he's going he's gonna to summarize things, what I learned in summary. He's going to say, look, here's the research that I did. Here's what I experienced, what I lived. And then here's something you need to know. Here's something you can take away from it. If that was his outline. I thought it'd be pretty good for ours too. Part one, what did he learn? That life is passing. It's short. It's brief. It's faster than you think. Look at verse 4. It says, generations of people come and generations of people go, but the earth remains forever. And then he's on a little bit, just paints a picture for us in five, the next few verses there. He's, he's talking about the earth, the, the sun rises and the sun sets. The winds blow east and then the winds blow west. The, the streams fill the, fill the rivers, the rivers fill the ocean, the ocean fills the stream. All just, just the power of the planet, just always being there consistently doing what the planet does. And yet men and women, they come and they go. He's looking at the four elements and say, they've got a lot on us. Comparatively speaking, they're permanent. We're in transition. He says in verse 11, no one remembers the former generation. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Look at you in your life, living full, having a family, 70, 90 years. The planet says, never heard of you. I don't even know about the generations that are coming ahead of you. I've already forgotten them and they don't even exist yet. You're going to die and be forgotten very soon. You will die and be forgotten very soon. What does it gain to even bother living? What's left under the sun? The world is not enough. Just ask planet Earth. <laughs> I mean, if, it, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Solomon is appealing to creation itself going, look at the logo for our series, right? I wanted to make sure we have the ocean in there and the mountains because wave after wave continues before, during, and after our existence doesn't care about us. The mountains will stay there and they won't care before, during, or after. Our future family, they won't even care for. Don't know, don't care. And then we, as humans, we have the audacity to name rocks. Think about that. Like, we fly to Boston, we interview Plymouth Rock. Hello, Plymouth Rock, we'd like to talk to you about, first of all, don't call me Plymouth Rock, okay? Because I was here 10,000 years before your little pilgrim showed up, and I've not even bothered to remember the name of your country because I'll be here 10 million years later, and you'll just be a blip on the map. So, my name is not Plymouth Rock, my name is Ralph. What do you want? We say, we, we, we say, we conquered a mountain. Oh, look at man and his ingenuity. I conquered a mountain. Mount, you know, Mount Everest. Go interview Mount Everest. She'll tell you, my mountain is a graveyard. 
people. And if you think you, what, conquered me because you made it to the top, call me in maybe, how about 3021? We'll talk about who's here and who's not. The earth is kind of like calling out the brevity of man. And because of the brevity of man and its generations, there's meaningless. Life is meaningless because death and time will completely eradicate everything we love like it never even existed. We're just dust in the wind. That's all, just dust in the wind. Here's what the teacher lived. This is his experiment. This is his test case. He's a unique person, again, that he's gonna take the various distractions that keep us maybe not thinking about the fact that we will die and be forgotten. He's gonna take the distractions or maybe the distractions are finding purpose and meaning in life. He'll take the four most popular ones and he's gonna take them to a place that you and I can't imagine. He has the fuel to get there. He has the courage to take it to its cliff. First one is his pursuit of wisdom. He says, hey, you know what? I'm just going to become wise. That's what I'll do. I'll seek out greater understanding. That's the cure to life. Verse 17. So then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom, and, but I learned in the end of the day that this too is like chasing the wind. If you know the story of Solomon's wisest man in, the, in that t- period of time, and his walls were covered with diplomas, various degrees, different disciplines, becomes an expert in many of them. And what does he have to show for that? What does he learn from all that education? It says in verse 18, for much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. The more he thought, the more he went into research, the more questions he had coming out of it. There was nothing gained in that. (laughs) His, 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 he just, he st- in, in all that education, he still couldn't find what he was looking for. There was still, what, mm, something missing. He was still feeling as though he were dust in the wind because the earth is not enough. His soul cries out for something else. So then he thinks, you know what? I'm going to be a rock star, a rock star. I'm going to get a new house. I want a bathroom where I can play baseball. I want a king tub for 10 plus me. That's it. That's what I'm going to do. He has this reckless pursuit of now passions for pleasure. Chapter two, the scenes brighten. If you read, you can see in chapter two, it's like, oh, look, maybe I have a little hope here. Like, why not have some fun? And that's what he does. It's a multi-year all-out commitment to decadence, hedonism. I just want to feel good. And so verse three, first, I tried cheering myself up with wine and he is off and running. If you read in the, his story, that his literal story is going on in uh, 1 Kings, and you'll see in 1 Kings chapter 4 that when he talks about having a party, we're looking at 30 to 40,000 people in Jerusalem and having a very merry time. It says, Judah and Israel were many as, the sand of the, as, as much as the sand which was in the sea in, in their multitude, eating and drinking and making merry. How much wine do you think it takes to fill a soul? A lot, more than you can buy. It's never enough. He ends up with nothing more than a hangover. And so if wisdom doesn't win the day and just pleasure doesn't, he says, 
I'm going to build things. I'm going to collect stuff. And now it's in this great pursuit of stuff. And uh, let me tell you, in this, this one, this section of scripture is the most detailed because Solomon is like, here we go. He's going to collect things like no one else has. And so it says uh, in verse four through nine, it says, and I undertook great projects. I built houses. I built houses. Can we just stop with that? Because we might think, oh yeah, I know people that build houses. If you look at first Kings chapters nine and 10, First of all, it's not a house. It's not even a house. It's not a house. It's houses. And it's not really a house. These are castles. These are palaces. The main palace, the one in Jerusalem, took 13 years to build. I can't imagine being married to this guy. Hey, honey, guess what? We're going to have a baby. Could you build maybe something with a nursery in it? I'm on it. I'll be right back. Do, hold on a little longer. <laughs> hold on, honey. Okay, now we're moving in. Really? Your firstborn's 13. You know, he's in eighth grade. Thanks for that. He built houses. He built palaces. This main house was so beautiful that the queen of Egypt came to visit and was amazed. When a queen is amazed at your main house, you must have a pretty nice place. And even though still, I bet some of you are thinking, I know people with houses. Sure. I mean, they've got a house, they've got a main house and they've got a lake house and they have a beach house. They've got the mountain house. Maybe I know some people. I know people that know people that have a place in Sweden and Spain. That's not what we're talking about. It says in the Bible that Solomon built cities. He built cities, six of them. Picture him riding up in his chariot, cutting a ribbon. You're the mayor got to go. Five more. I want more balloons at the next scene. Okay. I'm doing stuff. I'm building things. He stepped back and said, you know what? Kind of bland. Let's fix them up. Let's make them pretty. So this passage continues. And I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water the groves to, of, of the flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves because you can. And then I had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. You're winning. I, am, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of the kings, uh, more than the treasures in the kings and, pro, and, and provinces. It says in uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, let me read it. Gold and silver were, so, were regarded as common stones in Jerusalem. That's how wealthy he was. That's how much he collected. But this, this is my favorite. This is what I would do, I think. He says, I acquired men and women singers. He, listen, just to be, I mean, I would, let's, let's, I would love to see the Eagles. I tried to see the Eagles. I love the, I'm a big fan, okay? My daughter saw the Eagles twice, front row, one of them. I still hate her for it. But anyway, uh, let's not talk about that thing. But like he didn't, he didn't host the Eagles concert, okay? He didn't buy the Eagles label. He didn't hire the Eagles to sing. He bought the Eagles. He bought the Eagles. He bought Fleetwood Mac. I mean, can you imagine what it's like at this palace? It's like, okay, Don, okay, let's go. I know, I know about Glenn. He's got a son. Get out there on the stage. Fleetwood Mac, you're on next. Quit fighting. Beyonce, get away from the mirror long enough to get on deck. You're going to be up pretty soon too. He owned them. He owned these ones. And it, there's and more to come. I had a harem as well. Of course he did. You know, to the delight of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Yeah, man, 
This is it. I told you he has more gas to go down these roads farther than anyone else has before. And this is it. This is the, the summation of his endeavor on this uh, third uh, on this third row. I denied myself noth nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Good. Awesome. He went farther than we could go. He went farther than we would go. And this is his conclusion. I'm glad he did this because he's got it. This has got to fill all the voids. And though, so he says, no. And yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled over to achieve, everything was meaningless. There was no profit, right? There was no gain. A chasing after the wind. Dust in the wind. The world's not enough. Still something is missing. We have an eternal, everlasting longing and temporal stuff can't fill it. And the brevity of life and time itself erases everything as though it never existed. Many of you know probably the actor, comedian, Jim Carrey. I mean, I don't know if you know his story, but it's, 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 it's rags to riches. I mean, he had to drop out of high school so that he could be a custodian, so he could help pay the, you know, for family needs because they were living in a van as a family together. And he dreamed of being rich and famous and powerful and all that. And, and he, he thought maybe one day I would be an actor and I would get $20 million for a single film. So he wrote a check to himself for $20 million for a film. That's what he was paid for the cable guy. He's worth a lot more than 20 million now. He's also dated for long periods of time various supermodels. So there's that. Here's his advice to us, Jim Carrey. I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of so they will know it's not the answer. Boom. Wisdom, pleasure, construction, right, possessions. Now he's just going to try. I'm going to just pursue working hard. I'm just going to be a good family man. I'm just going to be like a hallmark husband and dad. That's what I'm going to do. I'll do that. And so verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, I hated my life <laughs> because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of this is meaningless. It's just chasing after the wind. Really? Just being a regular good guy? Working hard, building a company, having your name on the door, that wasn't what bugged him. Here's what hurt. Here's the, here's the futility in that. Listen, uh, 18 through 24, it says, I hated all things that I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes up after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or foolish. <laughs> yet, yet he's going to have control over all the things that I had worked for and poured all of my effort into and all the skill that I'd done under the sun. And this too is meaningless. It's a vapor. It's smoke. It's just passing. My whole heart began to despair over this toilsome labor that I had been doing under the sun. What do people get? For all the toil and the anxious striving in which they labor under the sun, all their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A vapor, a mist, a smoke screen. It doesn't matter. It doesn't count. Why so miserable? Come on. Here's why. Because Solomon imagines himself 
building himself from the ground up, right? He's working in the mailroom, and then he earns his way into various places by working 50 to 60, 80 hours a week. He's going to do that, and with every promotion, he is earning that with his hard work and his wisdom. Then he buys the company. He changes the name of the company. His name is on that company sign there, right on the side of the building. It's gone famous, and then he starts to think, yeah, the brevity of life. The consequence of time. Maybe he stared into an hourglass a little too long. And then he realized this. Someday, son, all this will belong to your ex-wife. <laughs> what have I done? And you wonder, like, does it, does it matter how big the story is? No. Like, I don't know. What if it were $7 billion? Could you lose $7 billion in a day? Yeah, you can, apparently, two weeks ago. Seven billion, boop, gone. Vanity is vanity. Solomon here, he's the wisest, richest, most powerful man at this time. God has blessed him with the ability to have wisdom. And he's calling us, he's telling us, don't waste your life. Don't go running down these dead-end streets. No matter how well they're advertised, they can't satisfy the longing of the eternal soul. Don't waste your world. You'll be drowning in regret and sorrow. Please, come on, come on. I left my kingdom to my son. Look what happened. His, his first decree as the king of Israel was to cause a civil war. It's fleeting. It comes, it goes. Time and death will erase everything as though it never existed. The world is not enough. There's always going to be something missing because we're just dust. All these things are like a means. They're never an end. There, uh, in my opinion, a genius producer, writer, director in the 60s and 70s, his name is Rod Serling. Some of you know that name, right? He had a TV series called The Twilight Zone crazy insightful. He wrote one in his first year, his first season, wrote an episode uh, called A Nice Place to Visit. And in that episode, a man uh, wakes up after being killed and is greeted by what we would call a butler. It's more like a genie, actually, because when he wakes up, the butler says, what do you want? And it's not like a genie where he gets three wishes. He gets whatever he wants forever. All his dreams come true. And so, just like that, every pleasure is catered to. Sure, he's surrounded by many beautiful women. And now he has a really nice place to stay. He loves fast cars. He has the fastest cars. He was famous for his gambling. So every time he played roulette, he won. Every time. After a very short period of time of getting everything he wanted all the time, he says to the genie, the butler, he says, I don't belong in heaven. I want to be in the other place. <laughs> and the man says, oh, what, what makes you think this is heaven? This is the other place. This is hell. Hell is getting everything you want and nothing that you need. It's constantly trying to satisfy the eternal longings of the soul with temporal things and pleasures and distractions. What Solomon learned was our lives are a vapor and the people and the things that we love will be gone and forgotten. And the way he lived was an expression of trying out every single dead end road to their extreme and says, it's not there. So his lesson for us is this, when you read the book itself, you just keep going and that's what we have, we study 
to get to this end, we come to the end of the journey and he says, this is how it works. It's rather simple. Now when all has been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. Just fear God and keep his commandments. This is the duty of all mankind. Fear God, keep his commandments. Just do that. Because there's something about the nature of man that doesn't make sense under the sun. We have an eternal everlasting soul and it cannot be quenched. It will, it will dry up, it will die of starvation, of dehydration if we don't just fear God and keep his commandments. St. Augustine put it this way, you might know this quote, thou hast made us, for, thou hast made us O God, for thyself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. And so to be clear, to be clear, the balance of the values that we looked at today in the Bible are simple. The Bible promotes wisdom. It's better to live wise than foolishly. Live a wise life, right? It's just a means, not an end. It's, it, the Bible speaks a lot about enjoying the pleasures of life and really involving yourself in the beauty of life. Make sure you're within the fence. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Stuff? By all means, it's just a means, not an end. Make sure you own it, it doesn't own you. Don't let your identity get wrapped up in this, for sure. Work hard, show God. Show God what you can do with the gifts he gave you as an expression of your, who you are. But believe this, believe this, two parts. Believe this and enjoy this. Believe this and enjoy this. You have to believe it first. This is how it's going to work. An old saint from the 18th century says this. Here's how life works. Preach the gospel. Die. Be forgotten. Preach the gospel. Die. Be forgotten. Some of you don't believe that. Pascal, most of his writings were about how people stay distracted because they don't want to come to the realization that they will die and then be forgotten believe that, then, then if you journey with me through the book of Ecclesiastes, you will learn to not just believe that to be true, you will enjoy that. You will enjoy just living the gospel, dying, and then fine, be forgotten. I'll bet there's some of you right now that are just thanking God that you're watching today, that you're here today, because you were on a journey down one of these dead end roads or those that run right off a cliff. And now you're looking at Solomon and Solomon is grabbing you by the ears and saying, vanity of vanities, meaningless, meaningless. What does it gain if you get all those things, right? You can learn from him. You can learn from his travels and you're grateful because your day's coming soon. Maybe you're coming to realize that you will not exist and you will be forgotten. And Solomon's just the person to work all of us through that process of coming to terms with preaching the gospel, death, and being forgotten. I, here, here's why I wanted to study this series in this kind of context, and here we are. Again, Pascal, one of the smarter men that have ever lived, he said, the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room. 
The sole cause of man's unhappiness is he doesn't know how to stay quietly in his own room. The idea is we don't know how to stop from moving and staying distracted and being busy and then thinking. But a pandemic has made us stop. It's taken away our distractions. Now we have to slow down. Now people are having to be in the room by themselves, but they're afraid to think, to ponder, to consider. What is a gain? Where is the profit in life at all? So I wanted to do this because we're being forced into doing this. We're being forced into slowing down enough to make us wonder, wait a minute, why am I chasing the wind? It feels that way. So let's go through this together. Let's do what we need to do to come to this understanding that we will be dead and forgotten faster than we could ever imagine. The generations before and the generations will come. And the planet says, never heard of them. We'll believe that to be true, and then we'll come to enjoy that. We'll come to enjoy that together. We'll solve many of the mysteries of life of why we are restless when we're at home here on earth. So, would you join me in this adventure, this little journey, the meaning of life and a purpose? I hope you do. Join me in prayer. Lord, we... Uh, well, first of all, Lord, I, I would like to just, uh, I would ask that your spirit would call to uh, our mind maybe areas where we have gone down some of these roads that Solomon went down years before at greater extents, and yet we think it will be different. We're going to wrap our lives, our identity, our purpose around some of these distractions, and I'd, Lord, I'd ask that you would convict us that those are not just ambitions, but somehow they've become idols in our life. And I'd ask that your spirit would help us destroy those idols. That we'd care less about the here and now and more about just enjoying you and keeping your commandments. Lord, I'd ask that you would help us uh, with courage. That you, the, the things that we stay busy and distracted so that we wouldn't think those thoughts, that you would cause us to think those thoughts, ask those questions, ponder our non-existence. When, every, when, when, when we're gone and people can't even remember that we ever even lived, Lord, I'd ask that you'd help us face that so that we might enjoy that. And we'd glorify you with the presence, with your presence knowing that to be true. Lord, take us gently, tenderly down this path of purpose. Let us know that you're always with us. You'd never leave us and forsake us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.